If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 26 this morning as we continue our series in Worship Matters. Worship Matters. And today we're looking at genuine worship, looking at what is genuine worship. We're talking about worship, but have you ever asked, what is genuine worship? What does genuine worship look like? We're going to explore that a bit today. If you found your place there, well, let me, let me give you a little bit of context before we re- read the passage here. Just to kind of get you caught up where we are. We're kind of breaking in the middle of a story here, a middle of a, an event in the life of Jesus. Jesus, in chapter 4 of John's Gospel, he is, uh, in chapter 3, he's in Jerusalem doing ministry ministering there, and and he's been baptizing people, or his disciples have been baptizing people as he's been preaching. And the Pharisees have gotten word that he's preaching, and he's winning more converts, more disciples than John the Baptist had been winning. And so now uh, he stands in danger of feeling the pressure of the Pharisees, and it says that Jesus then decides to, to go back up to Galilee. So he's about, he is in the process of leaving Jerusalem, going up to Galilee. And on his way, instead of going around Samaria like so many of the Jews in that day did, because there was a, a racial tension that took place between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so typically when people would go from Jerusalem or Judea up to Galilee, quite often they would go around Samaria. They would take the long way around to avoid the Samaritans. But Jesus is not doing that. Jesus has a divine appointment to make in Samaria with this woman at the well. And so he doesn't go around Samaria, but he goes straight through Samaria, preaching the gospel along the way. And so today we come to this, this event in Jesus' life. He's there at a town. Uh, this town is called uh, Sychar, the town of Sychar. It's there between the, in the valley of the two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. We'll talk more about those in a minute, but it's there in the valley at a, a historical landmark, Jacob's Well. And Jesus comes to Jacob's well, and there he is there in the middle of the day. It's, it's noon. It's lunchtime. Middle of the day. And out comes this woman. Now this order, as we read this story, this order catch our attention because uh, typically women of that day wouldn't go out at noontime. Uh, women did go out and gather the water every day for the household, but not at noon. They went early in the morning, I mean, in the cool of the day. That's when you try to get most of your work done. And so that this woman is coming out by herself in the middle of the day to collect water for her family kind of tells us something. This woman is not very well respected in town. She's she's an outcast. In fact, we're going to find out that she's uh, a promiscuous woman. But here Jesus takes time to minister to her. He pours into her. He greets her. And he begins to tell her the gospel, the good news of the Messiah's coming. 
as he begins to talk to her and they begin to dialogue together, Jesus tells her, he, he asks for a drink of water, and just, this kind of sets her back. Who are you, a Jew asking water from me? I mean, she, she well knew that the racial tension that was there, Jews didn't ask anything of Samaritans. I mean, Jews did everything they could to avoid Samaritans. And now here Jesus is in the middle of the day, knowing that if this woman is coming out in the middle of the day, not only is she a Samaritan, but she's a sinful woman, a woman that even the Samaritans don't want to be around. And yet he comes and asks her, could you give me a drink of water? You want a drink of water from me? And Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would ask me about the water I have for you, the living water that is available. I can give you living water. And the Samaritan woman says, well, give me this water. I want this water. I have to come out here in the middle of the day by myself every day to gather water. Give me this water so I'll never thirst again. Then Jesus points towards her sin. He says, go get your husband. She says, well, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right. You're right in saying you have no husband. In fact, you've had seven husbands, and the man you're living without is not your husband. He addresses her sin. Of course, she wants to get off this subject. And so we get to our passage today. This is this lady's attempt to get Jesus off of this subject of her sin and onto the subject of worship. And that's where we're going to dwell on today as we look at this subject of worship and worship matters. And Jesus begins to tell her what genuine worship looks like, what defines genuine worship. So I want to pick up there in the story at this point then. If you would, if you found your place there, if you would stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. John chapter 4, starting in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in your word so that we may know you and worship you, the true living God. Now, Lord, today, reveal to us what it means to be genuine worshipers. 
so that we may worship you in all truth. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever gotten a job? Maybe it's a job that, that you, you work years in school preparing for. This is your dream job, the job that, that you feel like you were born to do. And you get in there, and at first you're really excited about it. I mean, this is good stuff. I love this. I love doing what I'm doing. I have a passion for it. And you're really excited about it. And the first year or two, everything is great and lovely and wonderful. And you just have that drive about the job. But then at some point in time, maybe two or three years down the road, you just start going through the motions. It becomes mundane to you. You begin to get a little bored with it. You just begin to go through the motions. As human beings, we tend to do that. We get bored so easily. We can do something, and one thing that just grabs our passion one moment, but after a year or two of doing it, it becomes so mundane. And we began to go through the motions. And we know that there's something wrong with that. We know that we're not made to just go through the motions. We're made to have a passion about things. So there's something wrong with just kind of going through the motions, but we tend to go there. Have you ever done that when it comes to worship? How easy it is for us to just come, come together in church week after week and we kind of go through the same routine. We, we sing a lot of the same songs and, and we can begin to get in that kind of mindset. We get bored with worship. And we begin to just go through the motions. One re reason we do that is because we begin to look at worship not as worship truly is, but we began to look at worship as simply a physical activity that we do. We don't know what genuine worship truly looks like. Well, today Jesus wants to teach us what genuine worship looks like. Worship that doesn't become mundane. Worship that, that doesn't just end in going through the motions, but worship that exalts and glorifies God. Today in this passage, we see that genuine worship is Christ-centered worship emanating from the Spirit and grounded in God's Word. Genuine worship is Christ-centered worship emanating, coming from the Spirit, and grounded in God's Word. And so today, as we look at this passage, I want us to, to see three characteristics of genuine worship. Three characteristics of genuine worship. And as we think about worship, I want us to, to look at this. I want us to understand what genuine worship really looks like. I want us to begin to examine our own lives have we just come to that point where we're going through the motions? Or do we come in here and experience genuine, heartfelt worship? I want us to look at ourselves and where we're falling short. As we think about genuine worship, what it means to genuinely worship God, I want this to inflame our worship so that we may worship God as He is worthy of our worship. 
So last week we looked at everybody worships, looking at in Romans chapter 1. But we understand there that misdirected worship leads to God's eternal judgment. So we need God to then redeem our worship as He redeems us through Christ Jesus. And then we need to think about what genuine worship is as we come together as the people of God. So as we begin to look at this then and look at our passage, the first thing that we notice here, and this is not one of the three, but this is kind of the opposite end of it, genuine worship is not primarily a physical activity. Genuine worship is not primarily a physical activity. We are physical people. We're in the flesh, right? And so we tend to think of things along the lines of the physical. And we begin to, to think of worship often as a physical activity. It's, it's about coming and, and singing certain songs, doing certain things. And so we tend to make it a physical activity. But Jesus says, no, it's not a physical activity. In fact, notice what he says there in those first couple of verses. The woman says to him, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But they say that Jerusalem is the place to worship. Now sitting there at Jacob's well, they are sitting in the valley between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Now if you remember back in the Old Testament, these two mountains might sound familiar. These are the two mountains that uh, Moses had given the people of Israel instructions to go to once they entered into the promised land. They were to go to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and they were to do this pronouncement of God's blessings upon their faithfulness and the curses due to unfaithfulness. And so Moses told them, I want you to take half of the tribe, and half of the tribe, you're going to go up on Mount Gerizim, and you're going to pronounce the blessings of God for faithfulness, for covenantal faithfulness. And the other half of Israel, I want you all to go up on Mount Ebal, and you are going to proclaim the curses of God for unfaithfulness to the covenant. And so as this woman is looking at this, as she's thinking, and as the Samaritans are thinking, uh, they, they're there in the midst of Mount Gerizim. There's Mount Gerizim. And so they have declared that Mount Gerizim is the place to worship. Now we need to understand a little bit about the, the Samaritans here. The Samaritans, they believed they were worshipers of Yahweh, the God of Israel. In fact, the Samaritans were, were part, part Israelites. Go back uh, several, dec uh, several uh, a century or so there, and, and you see that taking place when after the Assyrians came in and, and took in all of, of Israel, the northern kingdom, into exile. He did what, normal, uh, what kingdoms normally did back then. They would take the people out of the land, spread them out all over their kingdom, and then they would bring foreigners into the country to live. Well, when he brought foreigners into the country to live, they had a little problem there. Plagues began to break out and all kinds of things began to happen to the people. And so the king of Assyria said, what's going on here? What's happening? And his advisor said, well, here's what's happening, king. You've got these foreigners coming in and they don't know how to worship the God of the land. And so what you need to do is you need to bring some of those Israelites back into Israel so that they can teach these foreigners how to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so that's what he did. He brought some Israelites, a remnant of Israel, back into the land of, of Samaria there, northern kingdom, that area. 
to teach the foreigners how to worship Yahweh. Well, it didn't take long that those Israelites began to mix with those pagans, those Gentiles that were there. And that's one of the reasons that uh, they were looked down upon by the Israelites. This was a mixed breed of people. They were a mixed breed of people. They were partly Israelites and they were partly Gentile, which was a big no-no. You weren't supposed to mix the two. And so they looked down upon the Samaritans. But the Samaritans, they believed that they worshipped the God of Israel. And so they, they had part of the Bible. They held to the first five books of the Bible, the Mosaic Law there, the first five books, the Pentateuch. They held it as the Word of God, but, but they didn't give much time for the prophets and the, the, the books of history and all of that. And so they looked at this and they said, on Mount Gerizim, that's the place that we are to worship. But the Israelites, they said no, because they believed David was in line of the Messiah. He was the the chosen line that the Messiah would come from. And David had declared through God that Jerusalem would be the place where the name of God would dwell. And so that's where Solomon built the temple, there in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah was where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him by the word of God. But it was there on Mount Moriah that God offered the the sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice, who would take the place of Isaac. It was also the place that just a couple of years from this point in the Bible of Jesus talking to this Samaritan, that God would offer up another substitute, His Son Jesus Christ, in our place for our sins. But here she, she brings out, on this mountain is where our fathers say we should worship on Mount Gerizim, but you Jews, you say we should worship in Jerusalem. Where should we worship? Where should we worship? Which is correct? Here or there in Jerusalem? And what does Jesus say? Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The time is coming, the time is coming when when you will no longer worship here on this mountain or in Jerusalem. That's not significant. In fact, he's going to go and say, the time is coming and is now here. You see, there was a time when Jerusalem was the place of worship, where the worship of God was was supposed to be directed because that was where the, the presence of God, the indwelling presence of God chose to dwell, the glorifying presence of God. He, he chose to dwell there in Jerusalem. And so you were supposed to 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 point your worship, focus your worship on the temple where God's presence was said to dwell. But when Jesus came, all of that changed. No longer is it about the temple, but now it's about the Messiah. It's no longer about a place, but it's about the Spirit. You see, worship is not primarily a physical activity. It's not about a physical place. It's not about a physical place. It's not about Mount Gerizim. It's not about Mount Moriah. It's not about this sanctuary. You can't house God in this sanctuary. It won't hold Him. 
This is just a building. It's a, a roof over our head to keep us out of the rain. But I tell you what, if you take this building away, if you just wipe this building out and we set up a tent right here, oh, we wouldn't even need a tent. We could just gather on the grounds. We could go over here to Carter Park and gather on the grounds over at Carter Park and have church. We can worship God there. We don't need this building. It's not about a physical place. I'll tell you what, it's not about physical activities either. It's not about physical activities. We can worship God without raising our hands. We can worship God without singing. We can worship God without any of those things. It's not about a physical activity. So what is worship about? Genuine worship, first of all, emanates from the Spirit. Genuine worship emanates from the Spirit. Notice what Jesus tells the woman there. Jesus said to her, uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such worshipers to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And so, first of all, genuine worship emanates from the Spirit. It emanates from the Spirit. Worship is a spiritual matter. It's not a physical matter. It's a spiritual matter. It's something that takes place from within. It begins within, and it comes out from within. Now, if it's a spiritual matter, then one thing that we have to understand, if, if worship is about the Spirit then we have to be born of the Spirit. We have to be born of the Spirit. Now understand, Jesus here is not saying that we have to worship through the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about worshiping in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about worshiping from our spirit. It's our spirit. But that spirit has to be alive. It has to have life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead in sin. Our spirit was dead. And so if we are going to worship God, truly worship God, then we have to worship in spirit, and that spirit has to be alive. Therefore, we must be born of the spirit. Jesus makes this clear over in chapter 3. Chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he begins to ask him all of these questions. He says to Jesus, Jesus, uh, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, come from God, for no one can do these signs that, that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's the flesh, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which, born, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So, is, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Before you can ever see God, 
Not only His kingdom, but God is in His kingdom, right? So before you can see the kingdom of God, before you can ever see God, you have to have life, spiritual life. You have to be born again. So we have to worship from the Spirit. We have to have a a live spirit. A new spirit. Born of the Holy Spirit. Before we can ever worship God. Those who are born of the Holy Spirit then. When you're born of the Holy Spirit. Then worship erupts out of the Spirit. Into exultant praise to the Lord. Now, as when I was a kid, and I'm sure all of us did this, you, you made the, the homemade volcano, right? You ever done that? I know when I, I learned how to make that, uh, man, I went through like a whole gallon of, of vinegar and a whole box of, of, of baking soda making volcanoes because that was just cool. Right, And you've all done that. You've seen that take place, whether it was in a science class or whether you did it at home. You've seen that before. And what takes place? Well, there is a container, and you fill in, put in the container, you put in your vinegar, and so you fill your container with vinegar, and then you take this other stuff, this baking soda, and you throw it in the container with the vinegar, and what takes place? It erupts, right? It erupts. Well, that's what worship is. That's how worship takes place. You see, we have the Spirit, a living Spirit within us. When we're born again, we have a a new substance, a new life in us. The Spirit is alive in us. And then when we take the truth, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, when we take the truth and we throw that into the Spirit, then what takes place? There's an eruption of worship. It's an eruption of worship. When we see God for who God truly is, we can't contain ourselves. We've got to worship God. Now, it manifests itself in, in so many ways. Sometimes it manifests itself in solemn silence. Where we just sit in awe of who God is. You take a survey of all the prophets in the Bible and and what happens when they see the manifest presence of God. What happens when they see a vision of God? They fall on their knees. They fall on their faces in absolute silence before God. In awe of His glory. And other times it erupts in praise where we sing, Praise you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But it all comes out of the Spirit. It erupts out of a Spirit, a new Spirit, a born-again Spirit. As that Spirit comes into the presence and the knowledge of who God truly is. So genuine worship emanates. It comes from the Spirit. And it's primarily a spiritual activity. Second, Genuine worship is grounded in inerrant truth. It is grounded in inerrant truth. That is, it's grounded in God's Word. It's grounded in Holy Scripture. Jesus says there, you have to worship in spirit and in truth. And notice here that you can't separate those two. You can't separate them. Even when He goes on and says, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. You can't separate the two. You can't just simply worship God in spirit. You've got to have the truth. You've got to have the truth. 
So those who worship, worship, genuine worship is grounded in inerrant truth. It's grounded in God's holy word. Now think about this. If God is spirit, now spirit means he's invisible. We can't see him. We can't see him. He's all around us, but we can't see him. He's invisible. So how do we know a God who is invisible? He has to reveal himself to us. He has to reveal himself to us. Now, last week in, in Romans chapter 1, we, we saw that God does reveal himself, at least in some manner, in creation. We call this general revelation. It, it's just out there. Generally speaking, we can see God. When we look at creation, we, when we observe creation, we can say some things about God. We can, we, can, we can know that God exists, that he is a powerful, almighty God. If we're really honest with ourselves and we see the complexity of creation, when we see the awe of creation, we can see God's divine power, His eternal power, and His divine nature, Romans 1 says. But we really can't know Him. We can know things about Him through general revelation, through nature, but we can't know specific things about Him, the things that we need to know if we're going to be in a relationship with Him. The first time I knew Mary Beth was in uh, junior high. She was, a, a, she was in the seventh grade, came up to junior high from the sixth grade into the seventh grade, and I was in the ninth grade. And, you know, we hung out there at the tree in front of the junior high. And, and I knew her. At least I knew things about her. I knew her name. She was Mary Beth Woodard. I knew she lived somewhere up around the Fort Ice Highway, up in there somewhere, right, north of Warren. Uh, I, I knew the, kind of the friends that she hung out with, but I really didn't know her. I knew things about her. You see, through general revelation, we can know things about God, but we can't know God. I, I knew things about Mary Beth, but then fast forward three years. On up in high school, she was a sophomore. I was a senior on December 19th, 1990. We took a little trip with a, bunch, a group of our friends to go see the, the Christmas lights up in Star City, Arkansas, and I began to know Mary Beth. Not just things about her, but I began to know her. I began to know her likes and dislikes. I began to know who she was as a person, and through that knowledge, that led to a going steady, and then to an engagement, and on into a lifetime commitment, because I knew her. Personally, I didn't know things about her. Now I knew her. And you see, that's the way it is with the truth. God reveals himself in a general way in creation so that we can know things about God. But in his word, in scripture, he reveals himself in a specific way. So now we don't just know things about God. Now we know God. And He speaks to us through that Word every day. Every time we open it up, He's speaking to us, revealing Himself more and more and more so that we can truly know Him. Now the Samaritans, Jesus says, you, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. They had a little portion of the truth. They had the first five books of the Bible. But then, you know, they just kind of added what they wanted to about God after that. Well, we think God is like this. We think like God is like that. 
Have you ever heard people say that today? How many people do you know who, who, who maybe even are Christians, but you know, they never pick up God's Word. They never pick up the Bible other than to bring it to church. And then they go home and they set it down on the table and never pick it up all week long. And then they begin to say, well, I think God is like this. I think God is like that. My God is like this. My God is like that. You're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You see, we have no right to think about God, what we think about God. God tells us who he is, period. No question marks. That's how he is. This book tells us how God is. You don't get to make up who God is. He's revealed who he is. And if you're not worshiping the God of this Bible, you're not worshiping the one true God. You've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. You've got to know who he is. You've got to know his attributes, his likes and dislikes. You've got to know him. And only when you know Him can you truly, genuinely worship Him. That's why Jesus says there, Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. Paul commands Timothy, Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the Word. He didn't say sing hymns. He didn't say sing songs. Oh, that's important. But what Paul said is most important. You preach the Word. Because it's the Word that tells us the truth about who God is. That's why when we come together and worship, this Word is central. God's Word is central. We can do a lot of things in worship, and we can do without a lot of things in worship, but if we're going to worship God, we can't do without His Word. We've got to know who He is, and we've got to worship Him for who He is. We've got to worship God in truth. So authentic worship, genuine worship, emanates from the Spirit, and it's grounded in truth, the truth of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. Third, genuine worship is Christ-centered worship. Genuine worship is Christ-centered worship. Oh, I love this. As Jesus begins to tell her all of these things, the woman turns to him and says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. He will tell us all things. Right? This woman knows the Bible, and she knows that at least, you know, back there in the Pentateuch, back in the, the books of Moses, it says there will come one day a prophet like Moses who would reveal all things. So even she is looking for the Messiah who is to come, who would reveal all things about God. Oh, we get a, a, a portion about who God is in His Word, but we don't get the whole picture, even in God's Word, of who He is. But when Messiah comes, He will reveal all things. And Jesus says to her, He, I who speak to you, am He. Jesus is the one who came to reveal all things about God. Because Jesus Christ is God's Word in human flesh. John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as of the only, uh, the glory of the only Son from the Father. Jesus is the Word. He is God's full revelation. He has revealed Himself in His Word, partly. But God comes through Jesus Christ, the Son in human flesh. God in human flesh. And He reveals God fully to us. Here is God. He is like us. He come to be like us, to be born in human flesh like us, so that we can now not only know about Him, but we can see Him. And relate to Him just like we relate to our husbands and our wives. Jesus is God made flesh. He is the full revelation of God. Jesus came to be the full revelation of God, revealing God. In John chapter 14, verse 7 through 11, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And he goes on to say that, that I am the Father, the Father's in me, and I'm in the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because Jesus is the full revelation of God. He has all the attributes of God. And he came to reveal himself, reveal God in flesh. Christ is the, the means of authentic worship. He is the means of authentic worship. 14, 19, John 14, 19, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through me. You can't get to the Father except through me. He is the means to the Father, the avenue to the Father. You can't see the Father. You can't go to the Father except through Jesus. He is also the focus of worship. He is the focus of worship. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Oh, Jesus is the center of our worship. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. And being God in human flesh, He is the focus of our worship. We bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Many world religions today, they think a lot about Jesus. They think He's a good man, a good teacher, a good moral teacher. Even some think that He's a, a mighty, wonderful prophet, but they don't see Him as the Son of God. Therefore, they don't worship Yahweh. They think they worship Yahweh. Muslims think they worship the God that we worship, the God Yahweh. The Jews think they worship Yahweh. But they don't worship through Jesus. They don't worship Jesus. Therefore, they do not worship God. The only way to worship God is through Jesus Christ. As we come to worship week in and week out, our worship centers around Jesus Christ. Or it's through Him and by Him that we're able to come and worship God at all. Genuine worship is Christ-centered worship. Genuine worship is Christ-centered worship emanating from the Spirit, grounded in God's Word. I want you to see here in closing the danger, the danger of engaging 
and anything less than genuine worship. I'm reminded of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, God is calling to the people through the prophet Isaiah. God is, is coming to the people of Israel, a people who have turned their back upon him. And he's, he's, he's warning them of the coming judgment that is, that is upon them. And as Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's talking allegorically there of Jerusalem and Judea. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have enough of your burnt offerings of rams, of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to me, when you come to appear before me, who required it of you, this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. You see, the people of Israel, they got to a point where they were going through the motions of worship. They were showing up at the synagogue. They were showing up at the temple. They were going through all of the motions. They were sacrificing their sacrifices. They were putting up their prayers. They were singing great psalms. But they were going through the motions and their heart was not focused on God. And God says, I'm tired of your worship. I'm sick of it. What is all this worship to me? You're going through the motions. You don't love me. You don't honor me. Because of that, I'm sending judgment upon your nation. No longer will I hear your prayers. No longer will I bless you. Oh, there's great danger in going through the emotions. Of going through the emotions of worship. But not truly worshiping God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, we're all so weak. And how tempting it is. How we are so prone to boredom. But if we focus on genuine worship. Worshiping Christ. Christ-centered worship. Grounded in the truth of God's Word. Pouring that into our spirits and allowing that to erupt into praise. We'll never go through the, the motions, but we will truly worship God. Oh, dear friend, today examine your heart. Examine your heart. Are you going through the motions of worship? Are you engaging in genuine, true worship? Let today be a day that you, you commit yourself to filling the Spirit with the Word of God day in and day out. Fill up the Spirit. Fill up the Spirit so that you might erupt in glorious praise to God. Now for some, for some, you're not engaged in genuine worship because you don't know Jesus. You need to be born again.
You need a new living spirit. The only way to do that, the only way to experience that is to trust in Jesus. Turn to Him today. He died on the cross for your sins. He gave Himself for you so that you may have life to worship. Will you trust Him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to You today and we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is truth. And it reveals the truth about who You are. Oh Lord, let us cherish Your Word. Let us cherish Your Word. Let us fill our lives, our spirit with Your Word so that we may praise You. And let us trust in the Word come flesh, Jesus Christ, through whom all of Your glorious blessings flow. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us if you will.